Okay, so as we sang this morning, we've been welcomed into a holy place, the most holy place. Ephesians says we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hebrews tells us that we, we come before the very throne of God, that the holy of holies was on earth was only a template of. We're, we're, we're coming before the Lord in the true holy of holies, in the heavenly holy of holies. And so I'm aware as I start this morning that we're coming to a holy place. This is his holy words. And I have a little bit, at least by God's grace, hopefully I need more, but a holy fear of his holy word this morning. And, and I, want to, I want to treat his word well, and I, and I want your hearts to receive it well. So let's, let's, and he wants that. Like he wants that way more than I want it, way more than you want it. He wants his holy word treated with holiness and he wants our hearts to hear it to receive it and to be transformed by it that's what he wants so let's pray with him together let's pray to him together that he would do that with his word this morning lord i thank you so much for your holy word you haven't left us with just creation to testify that would be enough to command our worship you haven't left us with just feelings and intuitions about you you haven't left us just with our consciences that are a gift but are broken you've given us your holy words you've given us your thoughts you've given us truth you've given us what is important to you precisely without vagueness and with no confusion. You're not a God of confusion and I pray this morning you would protect me and your people from confusion. As I preach your word, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help me to be humble, to treat it with honor and to speak what I understand from it and to not try to go beyond that. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach spiritual things to spiritual people as only your Holy Spirit can. O oh, Holy Lord, the God whom we, through Jesus Christ, have the incredible privilege of coming before right now and being told to believe that we are truly in your presence now being commanded to boldly come to your presence now. Please give us the grace that we need right now for me to preach and for all of us to hear your holy word. Protect me from error and where I do make errors, protect your people. You may you be glorified in all that we're about to feast on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're in the second message of our devoted series. We're considering the life of the very first church. This is sourced in that great summary in Acts 2.42 of the first church that came into being after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came in power upon the people of God as he never had before. And we're told they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So we're taking each of these different components. 
which really mix together. We'll talk about that as we go along in this series. You can't really separate the apostles' teaching from prayer. We're going to see that today. You can't celebrate fellowship from breaking bread. We'll see that later. But we're trying to start in isolation, take each component, and really try to understand what it means. Today we're going to consider what it means that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Prayer was something, we're told, they were continually doing with devotion. And we're going to talk about that. Like, what does that mean? That they were continually praying. That they were devoted to it. It's important. But before we get there, I want to just kind of mention something that might be assumed, that needs to not be assumed. We're not told what they were praying. There are some prayers in Acts, but we're not told in Acts 2.4.2 what was going on continually in that church that they were praying for. So I don't want to assume that we just need to start praying more. And that that's all we need to take away from this picture, is to be praying more, because we do. But I think we should assume, rather, that what they were praying, like what it was that they were praying, what the Holy Spirit, who had birthed this New Testament, New Covenant people for the first time in history, was filling them miraculously and powerfully. What had he moved on them to begin praying? We should not presume that we just know what that is. We should assume rather that, that he wants us to understand that, that. That what they were praying and what we pray is important to him. That, that God wants to move in our hearts to bring out of us not just more praying or continual praying, but certain kinds of praying. So I, I want to ask at the outset, what does God want from our prayers? Before we go on talking about continual devotion, let's just ask, what should we be bringing to him continually with devotion? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? To answer this question, just like we did last week when we took the apostles' teaching and, and tried to double down in it in Hebrews 2, I want to go to another passage to try to help us understand what might have been going on in Acts 2.4.2 and certainly what God does want going on in us in terms of prayer. So I want to look at John 15, 7 through 8 and some remarkable words that Jesus says about prayer there. And then we'll come back out to Acts 2 in the back end of the message. But John 15, 7, 8, I'm going I'm to walk us through these passages here. here. Here's Jesus gathered with the disciples on the night he was about to be betrayed. And this is part of a big, big, uh, long discourse covering five chapters in John. But towards the back end, sort of still towards the middle, Jesus says to them, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and thus show yourselves to be my disciples. Again, this, this passage is set in the context of a huge discussion and it itself is in the context of a really important metaphor called the vine metaphor, the vine and the branches. And there Jesus is telling his disciples, and you've heard that, Holly was burdened by the Lord to read that to us a few weeks ago. I am the vine, you are the branches. And Jesus is telling his disciples in John 15 that, that his life must live 
and continually flow and continually fill them if they're going to be able to survive and thrive spiritually. His life has to be in them. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. And then he, he talks about what it means to abide in him, to remain in him, and remain in his love. But in the middle of all that, he says this provoke, prov- pro- provoking thing. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, synonyms, different versions say abide, some say remain. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and thus show yourselves to be my disciples. So is, you know, at the outset, you know, you're, you're struck probably like me, like whatever you wish. Like is this a promise that Jesus is saying, I will give you whatever you wish? If you're paying close attention, you already know, not exactly. Like this, this, this is actually a promise with some crucial conditions on the front end, remaining in him, his words remaining in us, and, and conditions that lead to certain kinds of prayers that we see on the back end. These are the kinds of prayers God wants us praying. When we ask the question, what does God want from our prayers? Jesus is telling us here these kinds of prayers. How do we get there? What, 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 what brings, what births the kinds of prayers that Jesus wants us praying? Well, first he says, if you remain in me. Can we go to the next slide? If you remain in me. That's the first condition, Jesus says. If you remain in me. The disciples had come to trust in Jesus and all that he had revealed about God through himself. They were trusting him that night for eternal life as the way back to God. They had come to see him as their Lord and they had left their old lives to follow him. If you trace the story of John's gospel again and again, Jesus tells the disciples and tells people who were listening to him these incredibly glorious promises about himself. You just mentally survey John's gospel as you remember it probably. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me from within his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's John 7. In John 4, he tells the woman at the well, if you knew who it was who was asking you for water, you would have asked him for water and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst. He tells Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever dies and believes in me you know, he will rise, right? In John 5, he tells the listeners, whoever believes in me will not come into judgment. So, so the disciples had heard this and they had affirmed this. He was their only savior. And of course, they were with him continually because they also recognized he was their master. He was their Christ, their king, their Lord. And so they were trusting him for eternal life and they had come to acknowledge him as their king, their Lord. So to put it simply, he was telling them, stay in that place, right? He isn't saying get into a place. He's saying remain where you are right now. A few moments before, he says, you're already clean, because of the words I have said to you. Stay 
there. Stay with me. To put it simply, through his message to them that they heard and they trusted, they were already devoted to Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And he's saying, stay in that place. And so to remain in Jesus, I don't think it has to be super mystical and super complicated. To remain in Jesus was to remain in this heart posture, to affirm again and again, day after day, these two things. My only hope for eternal life is Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my sure hope for eternal life, and he's my only hope. And secondly, my greatest loyalty is to my King, Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Lord. To remain, to abide, to stay in Christ is to keep trusting Jesus as your Savior from sin and to keep acknowledging him as your King, the rightful Lord of your life. And to continue in this heart posture, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. I believe that everything we see in this gospel and everything we see in the rest of the scriptures is summed up that way. Now there's many more things we could learn and understand about Jesus. But those are the tent poles. Those are the pillars of the house of your salvation. He is my savior, my only savior. I affirm he is my king. He is my Christ. That's what king Christ means, anointed. It's the king. Well, it, it means anointed specifically, but in the context of what the Jews were, were conceiving of as Messiah, it means their king, their master, their Lord. And this was their hot po- heart posture, right? They'd been with him for three years. They were the, with him at his last hour. Yes, they failed. This very night, they will flee, as he tells them, but they come together again. They get back off the ground when I was young in Christ, an older man from Navigators who was kind of my mentor, drummer in my band, but discipling me, he said to me, Albert, it's okay to fall down. You're gonna fall down. Just make sure that the number of times you fall down is always equal to the number of times you get back up. Just make sure the number of times you fall down is always equal to the number of times you get back up. Don't let it exceed that. And they had done that. When, when Jesus rises they, they come together, they receive him as he appears to them. They receive his words of peace. Peter receives his reinstatement. And they continue following and trusting in him, even before Pentecost. And so these men did abide, these men and women, they did abide. They did remain devoted to Jesus as their hope for eternal life and, and, and as their Lord. And that's what he's calling you and I to do as a precondition for being a person who can pray the kind of prayers that he will answer to abide in him as your savior, to affirm him as your Lord from your heart, not just with lip service. Now, now listen, th- this, this doesn't mean perfection. I want to be careful here. He's not going to hear our prayers. You know, he, I want, but there's a, there's a, there's a picture of this in 1 Peter 3 that I think is wonderful. 1 Peter 3, Jesus is talking, God is talking, the Holy Spirit is talking to husbands. And he says, husbands, honor your wives. Give them grace. Give them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Live with them in an understanding way. Then he says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The implication is, is that if you're treating your wife poorly and sinfully and selfishly, your prayers are going to be hindered 
they're going to be not received the way that they should be received, the way that God wants them to be received. And I don't think that means stop talking to God. He's not going to hear you, right? We just said we fail. We have to get back up. What I think it means is that when you come to God in prayer in that place, there's only one thing God wants to talk about. He does want to talk to you, but he wants to talk to you about how you're treating your wife, right? So I'm not saying if you're struggling with sin this morning, don't go to God with prayers. No, go to God with prayers, but go with prayers about that. God, cleanse me. God, help me. God, forgive me. Help me get out of this ditch. Of course he wants to hear you. How will you get out without his help? But that's what he wants to talk about, getting out of the ditch, re-repenting, seeking his forgiveness, seeking his cleansing. So Jesus is saying, do you want me to answer your prayer? Stay close to me. Stay with me. Keep your trust in me. Continually see me. Remain seeing me as your savior and as your king. Let's look at the next phrase Jesus used, this other precondition. And my words remain in you. My words remain in you. Their prayer lives were not only to flow from their devotion to Jesus, but their prayers, their prayers were to be informed by the truth about Jesus. His actual words and all the truths and teachings that flow from him, from the Holy Spirit into his apostles. And this is kind of why I said that these, these elements of Acts 2.4.2, they devoted themselves continually to prayers and to the apostles' teaching. You can't separate them. See, Jesus is saying here, if the apostles' teaching about me remain in you, ask whatever you wish, right? He's saying, let my words, let the truth about me let what I've said, let what's on my heart that you've heard me say, that you'll hear my apostles, well, these guys will be the apostles to you guys. He's saying, let all that inform and shape your prayers. So this means our prayers are to be shaped by what, I mean, simply by what Jesus said they should be shaped by. I mean, let's go to that as first of all. It's like, what does God want to hear from us? What prayers does he want to answer? Well, what did he tell us to pray, right? That's the first and simplest place to go. He said, when we pray, we should start with his father, Father, above all things, my priority and my prayer list, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be glorified. Let it be worshiped. Let it be respected. Let you be treated in my heart. May you be treated the way you should be treated. In my church, in my family, may you be treated the way you should be treated. May you be respected and worshiped and loved and trusted. May your kingdom come. The priority in our prayer list, may your kingdom be established in my heart in my wife's heart, in my children's heart, in the heart of my, my brothers and sisters in my church, in, in the hearts of those who don't have you now, who need you in my orbit, like my family members who don't know Jesus, may your kingdom come and be established there. And then through the whole earth, let your kingdom be established. When Jesus says that, we're not just being told to pray these specific words, we're being made aware of what Jesus wants. When he says, pray, our Father who art in heaven, may your kingdom come. Those are his words because that's what he wants. The worship of his Father above all things. The establishment of his kingdom throughout the earth. When Jesus says in another place, he says, let my words remain in you. Here's another word from Jesus. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We're not only being told why Jesus came, but we're being told implicitly through John 4, 15, let my words remain in you, that we should pray 
that he would accomplish this very thing. So his words should be our prayer. Lord, you came not to serve, you came not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for men. Give your life as a ransom for my brother and sister, my mother, my father, for my next door neighbor. Give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, let that come true in their hearts. When Jesus says in Matthew 7, how much more will your heavenly father, or this is Luke's edition of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke says, how much more will your heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask him? We're being reminded there what Jesus wants to give people above all things, his Holy Spirit. And so we should let that inform and shape our prayers. Lord, give me more of your spirit today. Lord, give Jen more of your spirit today. I should be praying that for her. We should be praying it for each other. Give my brothers and sisters in my care group or my Bible study, give them more of your spirit today. Lord, let them sense more of your presence. And Lord, pray for the lost that way. Lord, place them through the Holy Spirit into you, Lord. Give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus tells the disciples that night, who are about to undergo persecution that night and, and for years to come, he says to them, pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're being reminded that our greatest need is not to escape persecution from man, but to escape our heart's proclivity to abandon Jesus. Those are his words. Those words should remain in us and they should prioritize and shape our prayers. Lord, let me not fall into temptation today. Help me to stay loyal to you. Help me to stay devoted to you. These are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' priorities. These are the things that should be the priorities in our prayers. The worship of his Father, the establishment of his kingdom, our love for one another, his glory in the fruit of our lives. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying don't pray for the job you need. Don't pray for the surgery you have coming up. Don't pray for the wife you hope for. Don't pray for your marriage that needs healing. Don't pray for the tumor that needs a miracle. That's not what I'm saying. God is kind and caring and tender and loving and gentle and faithful and powerful. And he wants you to bring him all of your needs. In fact, I would guess that we're not coming quickly and persistently enough to God with our needs. I would guess that most of us are worrying more than we should and praying less than we should about our needs. And if you go back to the Lord's Prayer, we talk about his priorities in prayer. We hear Jesus command us to pray for our physical life, our physical needs. And you'll see Paul sometimes praying about those things and talking about those things. But, but I am saying that even those needs they're to be shaped by, surpassed by, in our hearts, what is most important in Jesus' heart. They come together this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on Hannah a little bit. She's not here right now. But this week, Hannah, she had a, a, a scare with a tooth, an infection in one of her teeth. And, and so I, I, I heard about this, and, you know, she, there was some, let me be, I've kind of let the cat out of the bag. So, I, I should have asked him this permission, but, but I'll be as vague as I can. <laughs> it's not anything weird or scandalous. It's just like I didn't ask her permission, so I would just want to be careful. It's just a really bad tooth that needed care. And, and I, what I did was I, I, I said, I, I emailed a few, texted a few ladies, and I just said, let's pray for God's glory in Hannah's tooth situation. Let's pray for God to heal her tooth. 
Like, let's just pray he heals her tooth now. And, and I can't remember the exact words I used, but I knew in my heart what I was saying was, above all things, Lord, get glory from this. Like, I want to see Hannah receive a miracle. Then I want to see her brag about you. Then I want to see other people brag about you. Then I want to see everybody, like, feel more confident that you are here and you are trustworthy and you care about us, leading to greater faith, a greater joy in you, more love for each other as we realize we can bring each other to God and he will help through that. I knew that at the core, because I've been working on this, what I was asking God for above all things was be glorified here in this. And God did not do that kind of miracle. But I really wasn't praying anymore like, God, you can only do it this way. I was, I was asking God to glorify himself at the very core of it, Lord. Glorify yourself. In it. And what happened was I watched one sister in our church who found out about this go to Hannah. Call her own dentist. Grab Hannah within, I think within that hour. Take her to her own dentist. And I watched that dentist charge $15 for x-rays and exam and medication. And that all happened, I think, in two hours from a place that was really scary. And, and, and it was just like, and I'm like walking with Hannah, and she's just, she's just glorifying God through his people. Just like, this is so incredible. This is God's church, this is God's people, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Didn't get the spectacular miracle of direct God, but so many times God is not interested in bypassing us to do what he wants to do. Like, the greater miracle than God could in a second heal her tooth, the greater miracle is creating the kinds of hearts around Hannah that are gonna lay everything down in the moment and go rescue her and help her out and get it all straightened out and the d- dentist will come. You know, that's, a, that's the greater miracle, right? What did Jesus say to the Pharisees when they were, they were freaking out about his proclamation? When, when, <laughs> when, when he was about to heal the para- paralytic and he says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And they freak on him. The Pharisees are like, only God has the power to forgive sins. What did Jesus say? He said, so that you might know, what? That the Son of Man can do amazing miracles. That the Son of Man has incredible power that we can claim. No, he says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Get up and walk. Jesus is pointing in that miracle to the greater need that we have. Much greater than physical healing is spiritual healing. That healing comes when we glorify God. Whether he does the spectacular miracle or not, when our hearts begin to glorify him, trust in him, believe in him, the real deeper miracle is happening. So he can use the direct line of his power to her tooth or he can work around and use some of you guys and some gracious dentist and do another miracle that way and bring glory and praise to himself. So above all things, even our physical needs need to be shaped by, surpassed by, informed by a desire for God's glory in all of these things. That is what he's after. These are the kinds of prayers that Jesus wants to flow from our hearts. And these are the kinds of prayers that Jesus answers. Now going back to John 15, let's consider something else. We, we've looked at what Jesus says here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted for you. We looked at that. But then listen to what he says. This is to my Father's glory, right? That you bear much fruit and thus show yourselves to be my disciples.
Jesus is saying, when we pray prayers that are shaped by our remaining in him, prayers that are shaped by his words remaining in us, that when God answers those prayers, certain things happen. What happens? We bear much fruit. And in in John, fruit is not chiefly explained from the words. And we look around, there's a lot of fruit like joy and love. Those are really big in John 15. Loving one another is a huge, huge theme right here around these prayers. These words about prayer right here is our love for one another. But it's not, he doesn't say here's what the fruit is specifically, but we can guess. But but everywhere in the New Testament, I I think we look at this idea of fruit. I think we're safe to assume Jesus, when he says you will bear much fruit, he is looking for spiritual vitality to come out of our lives. He wants our prayers to lead to true spiritual vitality, true spiritual life. He wants our prayers to lead to spiritual life in other people. And we, we can think simply of the fruit list in Galatians 5. That's a great place to go for understanding what kind of fruit does Jesus want to see in the hearts of people. He wants to see love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness. This will cover being a great manager at Costco who glorifies God in the way that he serves. This will cover being a wonderfully, uh, an imperfect but growing husband in Ballinger Creek. And this will cover Mike Christ in giving up everything and moving to Zambia with his five kids. Right? This is what Jesus wants. Fruit, spiritual fruit. It will look all kinds of different ways circumstantially. You will do this job, you will have this vocation, you will have this marriage, you will have this divorce, you will have this struggle. But if this fruit is coming out of our lives, Jesus says, he is pleased, God is glorified. That's what happens when we're praying the kinds of prayers that Jesus wants us praying, coming out of a life abiding in him and informed by him. And then he says, these prayers create and sustain true discipleship. He says, he says, this is to my father's glory, you bear much fruit, and thus show yourselves to be my disciples. The spiritual life coming out of our prayers lead to lasting and deep faith. The kind of faith that reveals that we really are his disciples. We really are his followers. When we're walking with him, when his words remain in us and we pray from that place, God sustains our discipleship with him. He deepens our walk with him. We show more and more that we're really his. And this last phrase, this is to my father's glory. This is to my Father's glory. Simply put, Jesus wants your prayers to lead to spiritual fruit in your life and the lives of others. Listen, that is so real, that is so lasting, and so deeply beautiful beautiful, that you and other people see it and say, oh, oh, God had to do this. Only God could make this happen. This kind of life they're living, it had to come from God's work. This is God being appealed to in godly ways, in ways that he wants to answer. And then God, through his power, answering these prayers for you and for me and for those that we're praying for. And what happens is he answers them. And he answers them in such a way that at some point the people, you yourself and the people around you say, God has got to be at work. God has got to be at work in this. 
So, I have seen people fall into ditches spiritually in this church. And I have seen certain women Tuesday night after 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 Tuesday night keep bringing them to the Lord. Again and again and again pleading with God. And I'll tell you what, I have seen, I've, I don't, I mean, this is just me and my limited understanding, but I've never seen the kind of return to the Lord that I've, that I've seen in the last couple of years among certain people in our church. Like, guys that I just count out, like they're done. I hear about what they're doing, I hear about where they've gone, and I'm just like, they're done. And then I, I watch these prayers just continue, appealing for their souls, appealing for their return. And then they like, they end up coming back. Like, really coming back. Like, not just showing up, but like their hearts are fighting again and beating again for Jesus. And all I can say is, I just am not used to seeing that. Like, I've, I've been in Christian ministry long enough to get cynical. You know, people walk away from God long enough, and I, I'm just apt to write them off. And sometimes it's true. But man, I've seen some prodigal sons come back to the Lord in ways that have blown my mind. And I remember these ladies praying for these men again and again and again and again and again. And all I can say is, God is here and at work. Because these ladies are remaining in Jesus. I know their walk with the Lord. It's real. It's not perfect, but it's real. And they know his word. They're praying along his values. And I don't want to say their names but some of their initials are Pam and Kim. But others of you guys are silently, quietly doing that on your own as well. All glory to God, not to Pam and Kim though. And I know, I know there are many people in here who are praying those kinds of prayers for your own husbands and your, your own sons and, and men who are praying that for your own wives and your own daughters. So maybe Pam and Kim just lost some reward because I announced them here. But you guys get the reward because you're doing it in secret, right? But they didn't. So maybe they still, blah, blah, blah. All right, let's keep going. I'm starting to leave the boundary places, right? Let, let's just think about this for a second, though. All that we've said so far, like that, that the prayers that we're praying as we remain in Jesus and his words remain in us, they lead to fruit, lasting fruit. It, 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 it leads to the confirmation of real discipleship, like real lives of following Jesus that are really authentic, and then it leads to God's glory. That's what Jesus said, our, that should inform our prayers, that's what our prayers should look like more than anything. Let's look at Paul's prayers and ask ourselves, is this going on in Paul's prayers? Let's look at Philippians 1.9. Look at Paul's prayer in Philippians 1.9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Does that sound familiar? God's glory, the fruit of love, real discipleship going on and, and love abounding, like real lives really being lived out for Jesus. Look what he's asking for. He, he, priority isn't freedom from persecution. Paul does pray for that sometimes. But the priority here is that they would not necessarily have the jobs they want, not necessarily have the marriages they want, not necessarily get the president they think they need. 
Look at his priorities for love to abound in their hearts in such a way that they know how to live, leading to the fruit of righteousness that can only come through Jesus, all leading to God's glory. These are the same themes, the same ideas Jesus just told us to pray for. Bearing much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples, to my Father's glory. If you survey Paul's prayers in the New Testament, you will see this consistent spiritual flavor to his prayers, spiritual priority to his prayers. Very quickly, listen to his prayers for the Thessalonians. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He's praying for spiritual fruit in their lives. They have all kinds of problems circumstantially. They have all kinds of needs. What's his priority? That God would strengthen their hearts and fill them with love for each other so that on the day when Jesus comes, Jesus would be pleased. His second letter to the same church. We constantly pray for you. That our God may count you worthy of his calling. That God would do that. That that by his power he may fill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Are you paying attention to this? That the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is praying for God to do miraculous, life-transforming work in this church so that God would be praised by it. Fruit, real discipleship, leading to God's glory. Listen to his prayer for the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Albert, you don't think God can grab that guy and bring him back. (laughs) He can do more than you can even imagine. If he decides to do it, he can do it. According to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Do you see these priorities in Paul's prayers come up again and again and again for faith in Jesus to deepen How many problems did these churches have with persecution, with immorality, with sin struggles tempting them, with poverty, with disease? They had a lot of problems, I'm sure circumstantially, maybe more than we do in 21st century America right now. But but again and again, I mean, the social systems, you know, we talk about trafficking and unjust laws and terrible governments. I mean, these people had to deal with Nero. What's his prayer priority here? That their faith in Jesus would deepen. That the fruit of love would grow through that faith and for God to be glorified in it all because it's so obvious that God's at work, that God's the source, that God's doing it. These are the kinds of prayers that we can ask God for, brothers and sisters, and by his own words and by the testimony and and by the activity of the Apostle Paul, these are the kinds of prayers that we can expect God to answer because they're the kinds of prayers he wants to answer. These are the kinds of prayers he poured out his son's blood to answer. 
D.A. Carson says about these, these assurances of God, of, of Jesus, that he'll answer prayer. Listen to what he says. This is really helpful. One of the most pervasive features of Jesus' teaching on prayer is the assurance it will be heard. And he's saying that's, that's to heart. It keeps coming up again. One of the most pervasive features of Jesus' teaching on prayer is the assurance it will be heard. But such praying is not for selfish ends. Meaning the kinds of prayers Jesus always hears is not for selfish ends, but always for the glory of God according to kingdom concerns. Those are the prayers that Jesus prioritizes. He prioritizes his ambitions for this world. The worship of his father and the establishment of his kingdom in our hearts We don't have this quote, but Carson goes on to talk about all these incredibly lofty things Jesus says he wants from us in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out about lust. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you've ever had real enemies, you know that that's not an easy thing to do. Carson says, the Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love expected of Jesus' followers. And then he says, when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, he says, it assures them such gifts are theirs if sought through prayer. Far from demanding, listen to this, far from demanding the impossible, he is providing the means for the otherwise impossible. Jesus Christ, his answer to our prayers for these things he wants from our lives is the means to get these things in our lives. We look at blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and we're intimidated by that and we just think, God, I'm so far from being pure in heart. Jesus says, ask, seek, find. And, and we'll see in a second there's a way he wants us to ask, seek, and find. So from final applications, now that we've, we've seen afresh what God is looking for from our prayers, that is how much how, how, more about what we should be praying, what kind of prayers God's answers, let's bring this back now to Acts 2.4.2, okay? There we're told that the church was continually devoting themselves to prayer. So that's our first application point. Brothers and sisters, this is not just a description of the church. It is implicitly a mantle God wants to place on you and on me. For us as a church family to be continually devoting ourselves to prayer. Acts 2.4.2 is not there for us to be like, wow, that's amazing. That church was so good. I wish it could be like that. Acts 2.4.2 should make us jealous for what God's Holy Spirit does when he is filling and providing and birthing the church. It should tell us this is what is possible for us in the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of church that is possible for us in the Holy Spirit. To be continually devoting ourselves to prayer. Be continually devoting. If we're going to see these kinds of answers in our prayers that we've been talking about today, I don't think that we can ignore this aspect of continual devotion. 
Jesus says a lot of things about prayer, like what he says in John 14. Even in John 15, rather, you see these words remain in, stay in, keep going. And he emphasizes that in other places. You, you hear it when he says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. I wish I could literally go to every Bible translation and, and <laughs> expand on the tenses there because in the Greek, it's the present tense, which isn't like our present tense. It's just happening now. It really emphasizes it's continually happening. In other words, we should be asking and keep asking. We should be seeking and keep seeking. We should be knocking and continually knocking. That's what Jesus is saying. We see this made more clear in other places. Jesus commands us to be like the persistent widow who badgers a judge to hear her case as he ignores her. She's badgering him. She wears him down in Luke, in this passage. I I believe it's Luke 18. She wears him down to give her justice. He commands us to be like the man, I think this is Luke 11, the man who wakes up his neighbor in the middle of the night because he needs food for his friend. That's not a polite person. We we saw it, we sung about it this morning. Boldly, boldly, come boldly. He wants to grow our faith through that persistence, that boldness. So how many of us fail to receive what God would give us because as James says, we simply don't ask. And when we do ask, how many of us don't receive because we give up on God so quickly? As if he's simply a busboy. Check. As opposed to the Lord of the universe who wants to shape our hearts as we wrestle in prayer with him. Jacob wrestled the angel and overcame him, but Jacob left changed, not God. So, continually, continually devoting ourselves to prayer. Secondly, we went over this, so I'm not gonna expand it too much. Pray most for the things Jesus and his apostles want the most. Pray most for the things Jesus and his apostles want the most. We covered this in the core of the message, but again briefly, we should be, above all things, asking God for ourselves, for our families, for our church, and the loss that he's brought into our orbit. We should be asking him for their faith in Jesus to deepen or to be created. We should be asking for the fruit of love, the chief of all fruits, that that authenticates our real discipleship. We should be asking for the fruit of love that says we really are his people, right? By this, all people will know you really are my disciples. If you Love one another. We should be asking for the fruit of love to grow from that faith. And we should be asking for God to be glorified in it all. We should be remembering and tasting in our prayers what it's like when we get excited about God and just saying, God, I want that excitement that I'm just praising you, I'm glorifying you, that I'm seeing you. I want that excitement for my kids, for my children. I want them to taste and see that you're real, that you're really good. I want your name lifted up because it gives me so much joy and you get so much joy out of it, God. So let's do this, right? Let's get you some glory, Lord, please. For their faith in Jesus to deepen, for the fruit of love to go from that faith, for God to be glorified. Pray most for the things Jesus and his apostles want the most. And again, this doesn't mean we don't pray for material, physical needs. The Bible is full of that. Or even desires. God wants to give us desires that are good, but even in these, we should be asking God to glorify himself in these things. 
You can get through a repaired marriage or you can get through singleness to marriage or you can just get through singleness and, and bring those things to God that are so hard and you can both get the things that you're hoping for but get them in such a way that the big headline over the thing isn't, oh, I got a husband or a wife or wow, my marriage repaired or wow, I'm able to really enjoy singleness. What you can get above that is the bigger headline. God is so good. He's really real. He's really in my life. Like that becomes the 58-point Helvetica headline and underneath is the sub-little headline and then this circumstantial thing happened that's really neat. But man, even if this thing didn't happen, I've learned so much more about God. He's so good. It's so much more satisfying. That's, that's what God wants to do. So lastly, pray together. I, I think this passage, Acts 2, 4, 2, is telling us about the church, not as individuals but it's mainly communicating to us the way that the church, as a church, spent their life together as a church. God came to create a church, not a person in a prayer closet only. He came to create a church made of a whole bunch of people who love their prayer closet, but who come together in unity, and he meets us in our unity. Sometimes we can look at a care group or a Tuesday night group or a Bible study or a, and we just think to ourselves, I mean, how many times do you, I've done this? You're just like, ah, I got this other thing to go to. I don't know if I want to go to that. That's kind of lame. Or I just feel like it's going to be lame. Or I'm too tired of that. How many times do you just, just ever ask yourself, what if I just get myself out of the picture completely and ask myself, what can I bring to this meeting? Maybe it's lame because I'm not going and I'm not bringing to those people what God would have me bring. Actually, maybe it's lame because my attitude is wrong, but when I go, I just find his grace meeting me. Let's not think about in, in any of these gatherings together, whether it's Sunday or Donna's Bible study or a care group, let's not think simply in terms of like what we can get out of it. Let's think about what does God want to give through my presence? The older I get as a believer... The more arduous life and ministry feel, the more I'm experiencing the rest and the comfort and the joy and the spiritual power that comes from praying with brothers and sisters. I, I, I can only speak to this experientially. The more I pray with brothers and sisters consistently, the more I long for their companionship in prayer. And the more it just feeds my soul. I... Mike, please forgive me. I freaking love Tuesday nights. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, I'm just teasing you. But I, I, just, I just don't know. I just love Tuesday nights. And, and, you know, this Tuesday could just feel empty and dry. No God could do that. But so many nights, you know, there's just a couple of us there. And it's just God just meets us as we just pray. We're just singing and praying. It's just such a beautiful thing. And, and I've just grown to find it so comforting. Just be with my church family in prayer. And I'm, by God's grace, I'm praying more with my kids. It's such a sweet thing. I mean, I come to home with so much of the church in my mind, and some of it's godly and loving. Some of it ends up being, you know, self-worry and about me or whatever. I come home with all that baggage. What I have found is the easiest, quickest, most, like, powerful way to get that all off my back. It's not the phone. It's not watching TV. It's not playing tennis. It's having a devotional time with my kids. It's singing with them and praying with them and talking with them about Jesus. He just takes my mind and gets it into my kids' my hearts. 
like nothing else will do. He gets this, he gets work, you know, for me. My nine to five job is the church. He, and I can't be taking that home to my kids, right? Like I gotta give them my heart, right? And when I engage them in spiritual things, there's something that happens in my attention and my, in my it, it just starts to work, you know? So, so be praying with your children. Be praying with your husband, with your wife. And be praying with your church. However, informal or formally, you, you want to get together in a care group on Sundays, coffee, Tuesday prayer, where, where you can continually devote yourselves to laying your hearts out to the Lord together. How blessed is the unity of God's people. In that life, God commands life. How beautiful is it when brothers and sisters dwell in unity? I'm, I'm not quoting the psalm perfectly, but he, he talks about the blessedness of unity. And then he says this thing, there God commands life. Life. So take more and more opportunities, even just to stop and say to each other, hey, let me pray for you. Like, you may only have like a three-minute little interchange and it may have nothing to do with anything about lawnmower repair, right? But then at the end, just take a second, just say, hey, can I just pray for you? Like whether they've said anything that needs prayer or not, just say, and whether they, maybe you gotta go and you can't listen to like, you know, the 10 minute story about their aunt, you know, you can't do it, but you, you just, you gotta get going, but you know what, of all the things I can do in the next 38 seconds I've got less, I'm just gonna pray for you. Pray for your faith in Jesus to deepen. I'm gonna pray for the fruit of love to grow from that faith. I'm gonna pray that, that would happen in such a way that God would get all the glory. Just do it real quick. Just, just do that for each other. That's that should be, I mean, of all the things we should be conversing about, interacting about, prayer should be a big part of that, right? John Albert Brodus says, one may be a truly industrious man and yet poor in temporal things, but one cannot be a truly praying man and yet poor in spiritual things. One may be a truly industrious man. You can have all the function in the world to get it done in the business world or whatever vocation you have and yet end up poor, right? Stock market, bad sales decision, the financing didn't come through. But one cannot be a truly praying man and yet poor in spiritual things. The same can be said for churches. We cannot be a truly praying church and yet be poor in spiritual things. Truly praying church. Praying the way Jesus wants us abiding in him, his words remaining in us, and praying from that place. We will not be poor spiritually here. God wants to give us the very best. Faith in Jesus, love for each other, all leading to his glory. Let, let's, let's just ask him again and again for that. Lost people are gonna see that. He promises the world will know through your love for one another. It comes from me. They'll know that you're there, that you're real. May he make us more than ever a praying people.